The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, someone who can really put food, health, and agriculture together for us, Dr. Jessica Shade. She is Director of Science Programs at the Organic Center. At the center, she directs projects associated with communicating and conducting research related to organic agriculture. Now, during her tenure at the Organic Center, she has collaborated on a number of research projects, two of those we're going to be touching on today. But basically, these projects investigate solutions to on-farm challenges and the methods for improving environmental impacts of agriculture. Most recently, she has worked on projects aimed at decreasing nitrogen pollution from agricultural sources, increasing on-farm biodiversity, and developing integrated pest management solutions for organic growers. The center has an annual conference event, and those conference lectures and resources and research are all available to consumers nationwide at the Organic Center website, That's organic-center.org. Dr. Shade has been honored for her environmental accomplishments by the Audubon Women in Conservation through Women Greening Food Special Recognition, the Ecological Society of America, and the Union of Concerned Scientists. She received her Ph.D. from the University of California in Berkeley. Dr. Shade, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled. I always like to ask people before we get started How did you go down this path of working in ecology and then going to the Organic Center? It's kind of funny because I didn't always like science. And I remember in my high school chemistry class, I actually had a teacher who told the students that she used to hate science and didn't start liking it until she was an adult. And I remember thinking, that will never happen to me because I was so focused on art and fashion design when I was younger. So I went to college for art, and it was actually my involvement with organic that first made me realize how critical creativity is in science and first plugged me in with an interest in science. So I was working for an organic food cooperative as their political liaison And every year I'd represent them at the North American Students for Cooperation meeting, which was in Michigan. And one year I was out there and I went to a large chain food store to buy groceries and I found some organic broccoli. And I was really excited to find organic in the midst of a conventional food store because this was before you could find organic in almost every big brand store the way that you you can today. So I just had to get this organic broccoli. I was very excited. I went to... Check out, and the woman who was checking me out held up the broccoli and asked in this very skeptical voice, does this stuff really taste better? And it made me realize that people don't understand all the science of why organic is important. Yeah, they might taste better, but there's so much vital science that supports why people should be buying organic that isn't getting out to the public. 
so I started taking science classes to learn about how to develop scientific studies about sustainability and communicate those studies with the public. And that passion followed me through graduate school at the University of California, Berkeley, and has really come full circle with my position as the director of science programs for the Organic Center, because at the Organic Center, we're also using creative approaches to address science that will overcome the obstacles that organic faces. Hmm. One of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on this program is because you uniquely combine the skill set of being able to conduct research and analyze the science, but then just as important, you're able to communicate it. And that is a rare combination of traits. So I'm really glad you explained how you got to where you are. So when we were preparing for this interview, we spoke about what do consumers want to know? We both read the headlines. We see a lot of questioning of organic. Does it really make a difference? And I think when I talk to consumers anyway, what I hear most of them tell me is the reason why they buy organic food is because they want to purchase something that's healthier for their family. They think perhaps that it has nutritional benefits over conventional, and they also think that they want to avoid chemical residues. And I know on your website, you have information from Harvard University, a Harvard University researcher showing that there is indeed less pesticide residue on organic food. But you have been able to explain much wider nutrition and health implications of organic farming. And that's what I'm hoping we can talk about today, specifically through two new research project areas, soil and nitrogen. So why don't we talk about the importance of thinking about soil when we think about our health and farming? Absolutely. Soil is one of those things that gets ignored a lot when you're eating food because you're thinking about the food that you're eating. You're not thinking necessarily about the farm it came from. And even if you're thinking about that farm, you're not thinking about the dirt on the ground. And yet that dirt is the backbone of everything that we eat. So without taking care of soil and making sure that soil is healthy, we can't have healthy plants and nutritious crops and the long-term food security that we kind of take for granted isn't that secure without that stable, healthy soil. So soil is really one of the absolute most important things when it comes to the food that we eat. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I'm sure you saw there was a recent article in the New York Times about how the soil can basically save the earth. And I think when we talk about the nutritional quality of our foods based on soil quality, I know that the Rodale Institute is doing research on that. They've just started a new long-term vegetable systems trial. But I remember last year, the American Public Health Association had an entire conference dedicated to climate change. And if we think about what is the relationship between how we produce our food and climate then that takes us to the Organic Center and some of the research you're looking at. So what is unique about the organic farming system and how that can help mitigate some of the problems with climate change? Well, from the research that we've been doing, what we've been seeing is that the number one difference, especially when it comes to putting carbon out into the atmosphere, is that 
organic farms sequester that carbon into the soil. So they take carbon that would otherwise be in our atmosphere, creating climate change, and they store it away in the soil. They lock it away for long periods of time. And there have been several studies over the last decade that kind of show that organic is able to sequester carbon in the soil, which is really interesting. But we just published a study that is one of the biggest of its kind. So we had soil samples from over 600 organic farmers from all over the United States. They were involved as citizen scientists and really were able to take ownership of this study. And we looked at not just the total amount of carbon in the soil, but we actually broke it down into its components. They're called labile organic matter and then non-labile organic matter or humic substances. And the reason why that's really important is because the labile organic matter part of sequestered carbon fluctuates from year to year. So it can change even from one season to another. So if you're measuring it one year in summer, then you measure it the next year, maybe even a different season, you're going to find very different levels. But humic substances represent the long-term storage of carbon in the soil. So that's what you have to look at to really determine what's going on with carbon sequestration over the long term. And so our study was really the first time that anyone compared levels of humic substances, and those humic substances are humic acid and fulvic acid in organic versus conventional soils. And what we found is that organic consistently has higher levels of humic substances. We found 13% higher total soil organic matter, one and a half times higher levels of fulvic acid, and 44% more humic acid. So what that shows is that organic is better at sequestering carbon, and it's effectively locking away carbon in long-term reserves that would otherwise be in the atmosphere. And I can't forget, whenever I talk about the soil, I have to say that we did it in collaboration with the National Soil Project at Northeastern University. So their team of researchers were the lead on this, and they developed this really innovative way of analyzing soil. So Dr. Jeff Davies and Dr. Elham Gabor at the National Soil Project are absolutely cutting edge in what they're doing with the National Soil Project. This is so interesting. So tell me what is it that is happening on an organic farm that makes that soil better able to sequester carbon? What's the difference between the organic farm and the conventional? It's all about how organic farmers manage the health of their soil. So instead of using synthetic fertilizer, they're using things like compost and manure and legumes that they're growing to make sure that nitrogen and other nutrients are getting into the soil. And it's really interesting because it's important for all these environmental benefits, mm -hmm. including many other soil health components, not just sequestering carbon. But it's also really important for organic farmers because without that healthy soil that's rich in all this organic matter, they can't get high enough yields 
to make a profit on their farm. So it's kind of this beautiful symbiotic relationship where farmers need it to be economically viable. And while they're doing that, they're creating all these environmental benefits for the soil. Mm -hmm. And as a nutritionist, I can't help but wonder how that healthier soil contributes to some of the more beneficial plant compounds in our produce that we eat. I sense that they're all related. Not being a soil scientist, I don't know how exactly that's going to work, but I think that our friends at Rodale will help us see that as well. So it's wonderful that this research is going forward. And you know, years ago, I remember being at an organic farming conference where the farmer of the year was praised for, because of his beneficial, healthier soil, he had much less runoff from this deluge of water that they had. And that's what we're seeing with climate change, too. We're seeing either longer and hotter periods of drought and also much stronger, heavier rainfall. So the organic farmer has the advantage there as well. Yeah. And, you know, there's been some really interesting research looking at how organic farming fares in those extreme weather events. And what it shows is that even if you're looking at organic farms that from one year to another with average weather are getting equal or slightly lower yields than conventional. As soon as an extreme weather event hits, organic is able to bounce back Mm -hmm. and even create yields within those extreme weather years Mm. a lot higher than conventional farms. Yeah, that whole idea of bouncing back and resiliency needs to be a much bigger piece of our conversation about how we communicate about agriculture as we deal with climate change. Dr. Shade, I need to take one break and let our listeners know that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Dr. Jessica Shade. She is the Director of Science Programs for the Organic Center, and we are talking about two major areas of research that the center is looking at right now that are truly exciting as we face challenges like we've never known before. And my work with the Food and Environment Working Group within the American Public Health Association tells me that climate change really needs to be front and center when we talk about public health. And connecting those dots between our health, the food we eat, and also how it's produced is so critical and getting even more so. Because we just have 30 minutes, I feel like the second half of our conversation really needs to be focused on the other area of research that you're looking at, and that has to do with nitrogen. Living in the Midwest, I'm aware of all the synthetic nitrogen that is used largely on those commodity crops, corn and soy. And I'm also aware of the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico and how that is harming fishermen in that region because without oxygen, the seafood that we've come to love and depend on is basically dying off. So tell me about the Organic Center's work looking at synthetic versus recycled or more natural nitrogen use and how the organic farmer has the advantage there as well. Sure. And nitrogen pollution is something that's really interesting to scientists but it doesn't get as much publicity as things like carbon. So everyone's heard about their carbon footprint, but nitrogen should really 
get talked about a lot more because it cascades into a suite of environmental problems, a lot of which you've just mentioned. So things like climate change, smog, acid rain, dead zones, ozone hole. Nitrogen plays a big role in all of them. So first I'll give you the punchline from our research, which is that on a global level, organic contributes three times less to nitrogen pollution. So that means that organics helping mitigate climate change from both sides of the coin. Greenhouse gas by storing greenhouse gases by both carbon and nitrogen. So carbon I already talked about, it's sequestering it in the soil. And then nitrogen because it's helping use recycled nitrogen rather than new nitrogen. And it's really this kind of crazy dilemma because we actually need nitrogen to grow plants. Plants use it in photosynthesis, and they use it to build proteins, they use it for amino acids. But if you apply too much nitrogen, if there's so much that it's not all getting used by those plants, then it gets out into the environment and wreaks havoc. So what we did is we looked at things globally. Why is there so much excess nitrogen in the environment? Why don't we see this nice equilibrium where there's just enough nitrogen to grow plants, but not so much that it's destroying our waterways, airways, etc.? And the two-word answer, I don't want to sound like a broken record here because this is also the answer to the question you asked me about sequestering carbon, but it's synthetic fertilizer. So most nitrogen isn't reactive. It's in the air that we breathe, but it's not actually helping plants grow or polluting the environment. And that nitrogen can be turned into its useful version, reactive nitrogen, a lot of ways. So back before the Green Revolution, it was primarily done by microorganisms. And that's still the way it's done on organic farms. So farmers plant legumes and other crops that host nitrogen-fixing bacteria. They recycle nitrogen by using compost and manure, and you get just enough nitrogen to grow a sustainable amount of crops if you take care of your soil. But in the early 1900s, humans discovered a way to capture that non-reactive nitrogen using a man-made process called the Heber-Bosch process. And that was really a game changer because all of a sudden people could increase their productivity without wasting time or even thinking about soil health because you can just dump massive amounts of synthetic nitrogen onto the fields. And some of that nitrogen gets taken up by the crop, but most of it goes into the environment, so up into our atmosphere, basically all over the place where it can accumulate and cause problems. And one of the biggest problems with excess reactive nitrogen is that it contributes to climate change. And you touched on this, but what that fertilizer does is it's getting converted into nitrous oxide, which is a greenhouse gas that's 300 times more powerful than CO2. And nitrous oxide sticks around for so long that it can actually enter the stratosphere where the ozone is and then eat away at the ozone. So what we found is that organic helps prevent nitrogen pollution by recycling or reusing more reactive nitrogen than conventional farming. So instead of adding new synthetic fertilizer to the reactive nitrogen pool in the environment, organic is recycling reactive nitrogen. I wish that we had more conversations about this all over. I don't know if it's in high school curricula. I don't recall ever going to a session about this at my dietetic conferences, but 
with such an important impact on climate change, you're right. We talk about carbon. It's much more familiar to us in our vernacular. But the nitrogen piece is critical as well. And I'm so glad that you're explaining this to me. So an organic farm, let's visit an organic farm for a moment. The source of nitrogen for the organic farmer can be manure that has to be composted for a set number of days. And also it can be green cover crops. And is this what you're talking about when when you mention the kind of nitrogen that is less harmful to the environment versus that which is man-made? Yes. So what I mean by recycled is that it's not pulling nitrogen from the air to make it into this form of nitrogen that can be harmful to our environment. It's using nitrogen that's already in our system. And that nitrogen especially comes in the form of compost that farmers put onto their field. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because I have also read that having too much nitrogen will dilute nutrients in crops. So you might get a bigger yield, you might get a larger crop because of that extra nitrogen. So at first glance, it seems like a good thing. But then when we've looked at the nutritional quality of those foods, we find that they're actually not as nutrient dense as those which are grown in the organic system. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up because this is a very interesting hypothesis to me. So it's called the growth differentiation balance hypothesis. And what that hypothesis does is it focuses on how plants choose to spend their limited resources like water, energy, and nutrients. Because resources are really expensive, so they can be used, either plants use them to grow or they can use them to create what are called secondary metabolites. Secondary because primary is growth. Mm-hmm. And what secondary metabolites are are things like antioxidants. They're things that are very nutritious to us as humans, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way it works is that at low levels of nutrients, plants can't grow or create secondary metabolites. You just have sick, small plants. Sure. But on the completely opposite end of the spectrum, at very high levels of nutrients. So this is, for example, on conventional farms where they're spreading a lot of synthetic fertilizer, those plants, all their resources are being used to aid them grow rather than being used to make things like antioxidants. But at intermediate levels of nutrients, so that's like on an organic farm where they have to recycle nutrients. So you still get enough to have the plants grow, but you're not oversaturating your soil with it. Growth is limited by that nutrient level. So a lot of those other resources are available to be spent on secondary metabolites. Hmm. So that's one of the hypotheses why sometimes you'll see organic produce have higher levels of nutrients than conventional. Exactly. Well, this is so important for us to see, I think, and connect these dots between how and why our food production is so critical, not only to personal health, but to the larger global environment and climate. Your website has information about the carbon sequestration as well as the nitrogen fertilizer, and you've got a great infographic. So 
for me anyway, I really like to see things in picture forms. It really helps me understand the process a lot better. So you've got that. But you also have good data showing that there are indeed less pesticide residues on organic food. I think a lot of people have a misconception that the organic farmer, while an organic farmer still can use pesticides, it's not a one-on-one substitution. And what we find on an organic farm, at least this has been my experience, and I hope you'll share yours as well, but the organic farmer, because there is more of this biodiversity, they have less pest pressure. Yeah, and that's actually been one of the most interesting results to come out recently because there's a lot of research showing that organic farms has higher biodiversity on the farm than conventional. But we didn't know what was creating that biodiversity. So some critics speculated that the higher biodiversity on organic farms was from pests. And so researchers actually went out and not just measured the biodiversity levels, but also measured what kinds of animals, insects, etc. they were finding on organic farms. And what they found is that there wasn't a difference between the pest numbers on organic and conventional farms. And all of that biodiversity increase on organic farms, at least in the insect area, came from beneficial insects. So it came from things like bees and parasitoid wasps that help control the pests and ladybugs, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense not to put poison down because I think there are so many unintended consequences when we do that. So we might kill the quote-unquote pest, but we also kill so many beneficial insects along with that. So we still have a lot to learn. We just have a couple of minutes left. I knew our time was going to fly. I want to open up the platform to you. And is there anything that you would like our listeners to know that we haven't touched on? Yes. So we have a report that's going to be coming out very soon that is pretty exciting. It looks at farm worker health. And that's another area that people don't really think about when they think about the benefits of organic. But you can imagine that if you're trying to avoid residues on your produce, what that does to the people who are handling those chemicals every day. So check the Organic Center website, and very soon there's going to be a report coming out about farm worker health and how organic can really act as a model for all of agriculture to protect farmers and farm workers. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was just at the Beyond Pesticides Forum in Irvine, California this spring. And there was a panel of farm workers as well as pediatricians showing images of children that were born with birth defects as a result of their mothers being farm workers in the field and being exposed to spray. So I'm thrilled that you're doing that research. Who is working with you on that project? That's an internal report. So what it's doing is it's looking at all of the research that's been published in the last few decades on this. Excellent. And so it's really a collaboration right. of all of the researchers who've well, been doing work on this. It's a pretty impressive body of knowledge. This is critically important. And, you know, part of this program, when I introduce it, I talk about thinking beyond our plates. And I think it's just human nature to focus on what's good for me and what's good for my family. 
But the beauty of organic agriculture is it's not just good for us, but beyond our plate, it's good for the farm worker and it's good for the earth. So I'm thrilled to have this conversation and promote the Organic Center. We've got to close, so I need to thank my guests for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Jessica Shade, Director of Science Programs at the Organic Center. The website is organic-center.org. Dr. Shade, thank you so much for your time and all the work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. 